When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, everybody, welcome back to Full Time Devils. My name is Stephen Alston. Today, joined by Karthik from Twitter, James, and also Jamie. Uh, what's happening, lads? You all right? Good, mate. All good. Karthik from Twitter, you already went there after what, 10 seconds. Are you, are you bored of that now? Because, like, yeah. your university's calling you it, your mates are calling you it. It's became like your. Wait, UCFB are calling him it. They did it on like a the other thing where they were posting people's pets. So I posted mine and they just replied, Oh my god, it's Carthy from Twitter. I'm just like, For fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is everyone absolutely going stir crazy yet with lockdown? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I did see something saying that football needs to start at the bottom up rather than top down when it returns. I saw that uh, this morning, uh, which I totally agree with. There's. the French league is now cancelled, um, and they've also said that Paris, if you want to fuck about and try and play in the Champions League as well, you ain't doing that in France. Um, so I, I think Paris Saint-Germain are potentially looking at whether or not they can go and play matches on neutral ground or abroad somewhere if they're able to compete it. Um, Holland has obviously cancelled and null and voided their league. Only Germany and... Is it Austria, potentially, have said they're going to try and come back? But I did read yesterday that Poland have actually put a date on it of, I think, May 29th, and it'll be completed by uh, sometime in July, uh, 19th of July, I think I saw. Do we think that the Premier League are going to follow that suit, or do we think the Premier League are going to follow the lead of the likes of uh, France and uh, Holland? I think they're too interested in the money. I think that's the thing that's like playing on everyone's mind at the minute. Like this idea that we need to get the season finished. Like, I just think it's a bit, it's a bit daft in the current climate. Like surely everything's pointing towards just being sensible and just voiding the season off. Well, it's like, the, so it's just the, it's, the, it's the testing thing as well that's annoying me. I mean, in Spain, you saw it with the Real Valladolid. Actually, the, the players refused to take tests because when you've got NHS frontline staff workers that aren't getting tests, but then you've got footballers that are giving them. It's just something wrong about that, isn't it? Yeah, it's not right at all. It's the slightest that any anything that's diverting from um, people being able to get tested and treated at the moment, it just isn't right. You know, if 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 a footballer goes down injured and ends up having like a serious injury, has to go to hospital, then that's taken away from people who've got this disease, or it's taking resource away from fighting this disease, and it literally could result in people dying. Um, I think this country's sort of not been overrun in the manner that we expected. And that's probably down to the lockdown that we've experienced for the last six and a half weeks. Uh, But that's not to say that as soon as anybody starts to uh, come out or as soon as they start to slacken that, that you're not going to see a big increase because you are. And I think that the fact that we've got all these Nightingale hospitals, which have have been built and people are, people are complaining that they're not being used at the moment. Like, no good. Because when they get used, we're in the shit. So, I think what we've done is we've created capacity, which was much needed. 
uh, because I, I almost feel like they're going to go, right, okay, industry needs to restart a little bit now and you need to start going, uh, getting out and making things happen. Uh, and once that happens, I, I do expect there's probably going to be a, a, another surge uh, of cases. Do you think the styles to the Premier League, because in France we're saying with Canal Plus, are saying to League or basically saying, if you don't fulfil your fixtures, then uh, we're just going to take the TV money off you. And you could have a situation here where we had with um, ITV Digital, where basically the clubs don't get the TV money and uh, we end up with sides going bankrupt. I think we could. I think the um, I think one of the reasons the Premier League has, um, if you look at the minutes of every meeting, the null and void of the season hasn't been on the table at all from the Premier League, which is bollocks. Like mm. uh, at some point, someone must have gone, "Hey lads, everyone else is null and void in this. Should we not be even considering it ourselves?" The fact that they've just ignored that option tells me that because these meetings are minuted, someone's playing a legal game here. Uh, because surely at the start, that first meeting, someone should have gone, can we null and void this? That should have been at least a question. But if they um, end up going into litigation with Sky over, let's face it, it's like 800 million a season mm. across the, yeah. the league. Yeah. If they end up going into litigation with uh, the league and with Sky, they can say, well, at our first meeting, we didn't even talk about it. At our second, third and fourth meetings, we didn't even talk about null and avoiding it. So they will be able to demonstrate that they did everything in their power to be able to resume football and it was totally out of their hands. Uh, pay us our fucking money, you slags. Do you think the so, Scousers could sue Liverpool? Uh, sorry, could sue the Premier League if, if, they don't, if they don't win the league? Do they just anyone go, can, anyone can, all right, we're going to sue Under what, what, what pretense are you suing the Premier League? Well, you know, well, I think it's different for Liverpool because they haven't actually won the league. But in Scotland, we're seeing it um, where they've just decided that teams are going up and down randomly. But I, you can probably see the situation. I think it's different because they, they haven't actually won the league. But if they if they were whatever twenty points clear and were going to win the title, then they might have a case on their hands. But I think you are probably going to see it if the league does get null and voided, like we've seen in their divisi and uh, in league are that. You know, you are probably going to get some sort of counter argument from Liverpool, whatever that is. I think the null and avoiding it is the most litigation proof method of doing it. Because, like yeah. I said, if you just go, right, okay, Villa, you're relegated, mm. Norwich, you're relegated, they'd have been like, well, we had a chance to, you know, that, yeah. that's got enormous financial implications for those clubs. If you say Leeds, you're promoted, X, you're promoted, whoever, you're all promoted. Well, well, they're not promoted. They haven't achieved it. The the season runs for thirty eight games. It's not only an opportunity to 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 gain points every time you step out onto the pitch. It's also an opportunity, or, or a, there's a potential for you to lose points, or be fined points, or to play an ineligible player and be deducted points. So there's the reason that those thirty eight game windows exist, and why football doesn't get called off at half time when teams are three and four nil ahead. Is because you have to see it out. You have to complete it. That's what sporting integrity is all about. What's the odds that Liverpool don't win the league now? Uh, ridiculous. They are. They're probably like a, a thousand to one that they don't win the league. But there will be a mathematical equation that says, here's how they don't win the league. And because of that, because they haven't actually won the league, you can't just award them the league. And if you do, they will never hear the end of it. I may... I'll make a vow on that. <laughs> my, my, over, like, my other issue with it being is that if we end up in a position where English football sort of rushes back to um, to get back to playing games, even if it's behind closed doors or whatever, we're still in a position where people are like um, 
socialising and things like that. What happens if one of them co- contracts the coronavirus? And what happens if one of them dies? Does that go down as sort of corporate manslaughter? Is yeah, because it it's, 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 yeah. it's not just um, footballers as well. It's TV crews, it's journalists. There's so, yeah. When they say behind closed doors, you're looking at more about three, 400 people in the stadium. It's insane, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, do you think? And it's a, it's a lot of people to be mingling together. At a time when we could still, like you know, like we're saying, we could still be facing a second wave of uh, of the virus. We're probably going so, to face a second wave of it naturally because it's supposedly it's it's a flu-like thing anyway. So yeah. you, you're going to expect more of that come uh, colder weather. So it, it it we're hitting like the best time of year now, like April into May, where it's lovely weather. Um, so you're probably going to see a bit of a natural drop off of it anyway. It, it was always going to spike, and if that spike just happens to hit where let's say it's September and they go, right, okay, we're down to less than 100 deaths a day. Fucking it's still 100. If there's anything killing 100, if there was a serial killer killing 100 yes, people yes. a day, do you think everyone would be like, don't worry about it, just crack <laughs> on? But I reckon that it'd probably be a threshold like that, like 100 deaths or less after two mm-hmm. weeks concurrent. Yeah, crack on, get out there again. But I reckon once you do... I think stadiums for concerts and for sport are the last thing that comes back. I don't know how you mitigate this with like, let's say you're a, a league two or a conference side and you, you've got somewhere in the region of two, three, 4,000 that are watching you. What's the cutoff? 75,000 yeah. at Old Trafford's one thing, but where's the, where's it dangerous? And if you're saying it's got to be three, 400 or less, Who's deciding who the fuck they are? You're going to get a situation where by like, there's an extra person inside the stadium means the thing has to be placed behind closed doors. It's going to be like, almost um, like, you know, you know, in um, schools where you've got like kids that are eligible for free school meals and then you've got like the kid whose mum owns like an extra three quid and then can't get them. You're going to get yeah. a sort of stupid situation like that. Just, People um... are finding all sorts of crazy... Uh, like my nana was complaining. One of my cousins is a single parent. She had to take a, a daughter with her to um, to do some shopping a couple of weeks ago. This is when lockdown first sort of started, and the rules in the supermarket is no kids are allowed, which is just a good idea. You know, mm-hmm. keep kids away because you know kids like to fucking run off and do all sorts of stuff. She's like, well, I'm a single parent, and my nana was complaining like they don't know what they're doing. I was like, of course they don't know what they're doing. Nobody <laughs> knows what they're doing. Literally, this is unprecedented. It's never happened before. Like, I don't think they did it maliciously, and I'm sure there's hundreds of cases like that. What about like a single parent who's got like five or six kids? Someone will probably see them in Tesco or wherever, and they'll be like, look at the state of this, all these kids. But you can't leave them at home. You can't leave them with family. What the fuck are they supposed to do? It's like, you know, when the, the Daily Mail are having to go at everyone for going to work and not socially distancing in that. It's like, if your boss is making you go to work and you've got, like, food to put on the table, what can you do about it? You're not going to, like, say no to him, are you? Because you'll lose your job, so... I wonder if it'd be considered unfair dismissal if you was like, I, I can't mm. in, mate. I, I don't I don't know. There's probably gonna be some tests of that, I imagine, coming soon. Yeah, they they opened up a thing, didn't they? Um some, some section of the government turned around and said that if you feel like your employer's being unfair and forcing you to come to work at this time, you can report them to us anonymously and we'll inv- we'll investigate it. Because realistically, like ninety percent of the infrastructure across the country can be operated from home. Like if you think like all these businesses that are now discovering Angon, we actually can operate quite successfully from home you know it's, it's a big bonus but obviously it's the big bosses that don't give a you know they don't give a fuck about it because <clears> they, you know they're comfortable anyway they can stay at home mm. but, um, that's when they yeah. said the old idiots on the street don't you just recording people going oh you're not an essential mm. worker what are you doing that video that went around twitter a few weeks ago and it genuinely made me so angry with those lads sticking up the uh the 5g yeah, masks yeah, yeah. 
and that woman went and videoed yeah. them and was saying he's caused coronavirus and honestly like, nothing's infuriated me more Man. I mean okay um, <laughs> there's actually, actually a really good um, <laughs> mini documentary on Netflix about the coronavirus which is well worth checking out I think it only came out a couple of days ago it's not that pandemic one which is like just a real generic virusy type yeah. thing but this one I think it's called coronavirus explained or what's happening with the coronavirus well worth checking out you see that um that bloke who changed his wi-fi router the name of it to like 5g coronavirus <laughs> I got a lot of, I got, yeah covid19 yeah. test was it or something like that uh. got a lot of time for that level of trolling um has everyone been watching the michael jordan documentary no one needs to start that nope. mate uh. just fuck off now and go watch it it's so good Right, I tell you, tell you that was something that I was good that, that I watched yesterday. Right, you know um, Robinson, the fellow who um, played for Liverpool, that uh, actually sadly recently died. When he was over in Spain, he actually did like a really good uh, documentary series, and uh, it's, there's, they're all on uh, Vimeo with English subtitles. And he did a really good one about uh, Spain winning the World Cup in 2010. And it's a bit like ESPN 30 for 30 meets, like the official World Cup films. It's like it's really good. All right, yeah, that might be worth checking out. Mm. Send us a link for that, actually. In fact, put the link on Twitter. Send it to me on Twitter, and I'll retweet right. it for everyone who wants to uh, to go check that out. Because that sounds like good. Uh, have you been watching much documentaries since you've been locked in? Yeah, I've watched loads. I've, I've actually been reading more, actually. I read um, I read a good book about, um, you know, when Beckham went to the Galaxy for a bit, um, his, like, first season there where uh, it basically had like a massive argument because he, he was earning, like, something crazy, like five million a year, and there were other players in the team who were on, like, 12 grand. And... Uh, it just everyone was getting really pissed off them. She was going to like England for like a pointless friendly, going to China to do like the Olympic opening ceremony and flying back to play a game the following day. And he was just like getting injured all the time, like not trying and everything. And then um, he like went out on loan to Milan in like a strop. But then when he came back, there were all these banners like asking for him to leave and that sort of thing. Yeah, you don't really hear much of that over no. here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I thought someone was going to jump in. No, man. <laughs> yeah, I think I think someone that's going to be coming out the other end of this as a winner is Netflix uh, mm-hmm. and any other place that's been doing documentaries. I started watching a City one yesterday uh, just to see. Um, quite interesting. Uh, is, it, points, is, it, is it as like UAE propaganda as everyone says it is? No, but it's um, it's it's certainly quite favourable <laughs> to them. It's mm. not. It's not. Um, it's not full-on propaganda like you would expect. Like imagine an MUTV documentary. Like yeah, I think that'd be worse. MUTV do good documentaries. I mean, like when the floodlights fade, that was interesting. Like following Fabian Bart as a, as a oh yeah, but they don't do anything like that on the current team. And if they do, it's all very very positive. Isn't well, it? I, think, I think there's just been loads of cuts at United, especially in that department as well. Which is why we see now like the the content mainly was just rolls around like skyping people have got in their like phone book and calling Jason Manford to see how he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When's that yeah. Spurs one coming out? Uh, I think they're still. Wasn't it meant to finish with the end of the season? I mean, what, what's left? <laughs> just release it. I think no. they probably want some sort of conclusion of the lockdown, don't they? Oh, Jose to get arrested for trying to train everyone in the park. Yeah, yeah what was all of that? Why did that? Typical Mourinho, no though, isn't it? That's yeah. the like, exact thing that you'd expect him to do during this situation. Like, I think people think he's past it, but he's still got that sort of shithousery in him. And <laughs> I do kind of miss that in our... Although I like I prefer Solskjaer as a manager, the press conferences of Mourinho and Van Gaal were quite something to behold. Probably more yeah. entertaining than football Oli's, times. Oli's been tried and trained by MUTV. Like, I, I mm. can almost tell you what he's going to say for every question that he has asked. 
but that's kind of good in a way because then you don't you, you don't want him to become the whole thing then because you know you look at Mourinho I mean that pre-season tour when we went to America it basically just oh, destroyed the confidence of all yeah, the players yeah. <clears throat> I mean there's there's two ends of a spectrum and I don't think either are the right I, mm. I don't think Solskjaer being just constantly overly positive is right I would I would like him to call someone a cunt at some point um, but I, which I know he does in training I know he's ruthless in training I know he's ruthless man to man and I know that whatever he says he's saying to people isn't always the case. And I know that he's, he's, he's actually very, very hard on people um, it, it, at the club. But publicly, it's fucking boring almost. And maybe that's a great thing. Maybe maybe Fergie's told him, don't give him anything. Just mm-hmm. just talk bollocks. Doesn't matter. Just fulfil your contractual obligation to talk to these <laughs> pricks and then fuck off and go and tell the players what you're going to tell them in the first place. The, the problem is... You get scenarios like uh, last week where Solskjaer came out and was like, we're going to exploit the transfer market. We've got loads of cash. Someone in the finance department at United was like, fucking hell. Like, <laughs> how are we supposed to negotiate when you told everyone we're loaded? Get Woodward out. And then they get Woodward out and he's like, oh yeah, no one's got any money. And then people lose their mind at both things. Yeah. The truth's probably in the middle somewhere. Like, yeah, maybe the coronavirus stuff doesn't affect us as a club financially as much as others, but we also don't want to get rinsed. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of him being too positive, I think I think everyone looks at him and goes, I mean, the way, he, you know, obviously the whole baby-faced assassin thing, everyone looks at him and thinks, oh, he's just a nice guy. He doesn't have a rough side to him, but we don't know that. No one's in training with him. Watch his, watch his tackle on Rob Lee and tell me that he's not uh, a rough guy. <laughs> Someone said that baby-faced assassin, assassin nickname wasn't because of how good he was as a striker. It was because of how f- much of a fucking ruthless cunt he is. I thought it was because he looked like a child in his face. He does, he does, I mean, he did look young into his yeah. 30s, but like, yeah, I've, apparently it's because of how ruthless he is when it comes to, um, you know, dealing with people. And, you know, uh, we all saw bits of him training at Mulder, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. At people like that. That, that was good. Um, you know, and obviously it never worked out for him at Cardiff, but I think tangibly, if you look at, Actions speak way louder than words for me. You know, he might have been saying in the press conferences, oh, I, want, I offered Ashley Young the, the chance to stay. He's out the door. Fellaini, what a great player. He was out the fucking door. Yeah. Sanchez, oh, Sanchez could come here and really shock people. He's got to say that. He's trying to fucking keep the resale value of him. If he goes, I tell you what, he won't even get any under 23s. Who's going to buy him? And then you well, lumbered with five. I think people K-Wings. are really, really unfair at Solskjaer at his time at Cardiff because people forget it's like, oh yeah, he relegated Cardiff. No, he relegated a side that was under that had an owner that was absolutely mental. Changed the <laughs> changed the colour of the kit, changed the yeah. badge, sacked a manager because he didn't like him, and yeah. then Solskjaer was he expected to get more to points per game than Malcolm Mackay did as well like, in that season. I think it's really unfair how people sort of bracket him as this sort of like the the only thing he's won is in Norwegian league. Well, so what? I mean, Guardiola just managed Barca B before he became the manager of the Barcelona team. You look at Zidane, he only managed Real Madrid's B team before he became their manager. You don't need experience at a top level to become a, a good manager. No, I, I also think that the the way that Oscar gets treated over the fact that he managed in the Norwegian league, it's still fundamentally what's managing. It's managing the personalities, the expectations of the players, the fans, the board, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Fergie said to him, didn't he? I think oh, it's in one of Fergie's books. It was a real mistake for Solskjaer to go there. Um, but you know, he, there he went, and hopefully he learned from it. He did, he did a really good job at the uh, the reserves as well, actually, in those those two seasons where it was him and yeah. Warren Joyce, I think, that was the... Uh, and yeah, and yeah. Rennie Mullenstein, I yeah. think, had something to do with that. 
I mean, it was a good a good crop of players that he brought through there. I mean, that was <laughs> what you had Welbeck, Possibon. Um, well, no, but people people say that about Possibon, like laugh at him. But he was actually really good when he first came from Brazil. It was that uh, the Manchester Senior Cup final that he played brilliantly and got two assists. And then he just had a really bad injury against Middlesbrough. It just knocked his confidence completely. He played very well in that game against Middlesbrough before Pogatex yeah. fucking ended him. Yeah, he was he was looking bright. He was like um, it's like Fred. A, no, I'd say more like a like a Fabregas, probably. Uh, he's more like Brian Robson, I'd say. He had that sort of vibe. <laughs> he wasn't obviously as good as Brian. Yeah, no, that missed. But <laughs> played in that similar style. He wasn't a typical Brazilian number ten, but at the same time, he wasn't like an anchor man. He played sort of as a six. Yeah, I think it reminded me a lot of Fabregas in mm. terms of like, you know, he'd play it nice and neat and keep it on the floor. He was deeper um, than, you know, than it obviously wasn't a number 10. Yeah, he was deeper than that. But he was a good, he looked like a tidy player. Mm. You know, we have, we have quite a few of them tidy players that come through, but you know, obviously he just didn't, he didn't ever fucking recover from um, what happened. I think he went and played in Bahrain. No, played it. So he went back to Santos in Brazil. One uh, Libertadores there, but it was never really in the squad. And then he just he went to Italy, barely got a game, and then he ended up in Vietnam for Ho Chi Minh. I'm amazed how you know this. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure he ended up in. I'm sure he ended up in well, Bahrain. Uh, you write in his biography. Uh, I actually did write 2,500 words on him, which is why I know so much. If you, I'm going to plug this here. Uh, if you do want to read my article on Rodrigo Possibon for the uh, Football Chronicle, then uh, fair enough. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm positive he ended up in Bahrain because uh, I'm sure I got told about it when I went over there. Well, anyway, do you know about um, you know Dong Fang Zhu? He's another one, right? Went back to China, ended on uh, some reality TV program. Now he's like got a different name apparently, and like um, he's like he's had a plastic um, plastic surgery done on his face. What? Yeah, Hang on, yeah, he played for Al Rafah yeah. in Bahrain. All uh, right. It's on transfer marks. Sorry, he's had plastic surgery, though. Yeah. <laughs> Why? John Zhu's had plastic surgery, apparently. He's also had a, a guard of honour from John Terry. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I, got, I got an unfollow because I made a joke about that. I said, imagine being John Terry and getting, uh, having to make a, have a mate form a guard of honour for Dong Fang Zhu, and someone went, oh, that's disrespectful, unfollowed. I went, all right. <laughs> 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 do you think United could do with having like another feeder team in the same way that we did with Antwerp? Because Fang Zhu went there, I think, and scored like twenty goals in their season. But I think the reason that ended was there was like some fight on the pitch and it ended up in like a legal dispute. Is that not it? No, the the um the that was Danny Higginbottom and Ronnie Walwick. Yeah, he he came on my podcast and explained what happened in that. Um, and it sounds like there was a little bit of jealousy. at Antwerp getting United players on loan uh, and a referee lied in his match report. Um, they both got told they were signed die, which means you'll never play football again uh, for anyone. Um, he said, and they, they both immediately got sent home from Antwerp. So what happened was, uh, I think Walwick got sent off or something and, and was arguing with the referee. And he said he was arguing with him. He said, but he didn't put his hands on him. Um, he said, and it was getting pretty fucking heated. And, um, Danny come in, told, like just separated him and dragged Danny Walwick away. He said, and then when they got the referee's report, they'd hit him, they'd fucking thrown a chair at him, they'd done all sorts of stuff to him, spat at him and, and all this sort of shit. Um, and he was like, it just wasn't true. Um, and he said they got to 
they, they got thrown out of Belgium. Got told that they'll never they'll never play pro football in Belgium. The registrations was cancelled. They got sent home. I think there was like eighteen and nineteen at the time, something like that. He goes, so we're like, he goes, you get back to, I think it was the cliff at the time. I think it was pre Carrington days. I think it was like nineteen ninety nine. So it was just before Carrington. And he goes, um, you get back to the cliff, and they're like, go and wait in Fergie's office, and you're like, mate, we are gonna get bollocked here aren't we like can you imagine the bollocking you know you're thinking you've dragged united's name through the mud you've been banned for life what am i going to do for a career what am i going to do for a job united are definitely going to fucking sack me he goes and we walked in and fergie went right lads two new contracts there for you <laughs> and they were like what <laughs> <laughs> and he said they'd spoke to some other people at the club who backed up their side of the story and they went don't know what the fuck the referee's problem is there's two contracts Phone your parents, let them know, because they're probably worried. Um, and he was like, honestly, he goes, like, Danny goes, you just fucking blew my mind. He goes, do you expect one thing? He goes, because Fergie could be hard. And he goes, yeah. and you just get the complete opposite. Um, so that was, uh, I'm sure it was like 2099, 2001, somewhere around that sort of time. The relationship didn't end until 2005. Can you tell me what happened in 2005? What we signed, quite average players. ハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハ
Yeah, well, it depends. It's fair. It depends on how you do it. I mean, if you do, you just like do what you do on the the editor on Football Manager when you want to put a new team and literally just take someone out. <laughs> just and remove go, someone. Yeah, we're now playing in League Two. It depends. I mean, if you start out like everyone else does, I think it'd be a bit. As you get a sort of MK Don situation on your hands there, where you're taking the place of like another team. It, it, there's there's a part of me that thinks it's a bit greedy, really. That you know, I don't really need to have two teams when they already make quite a bit of income from the first team. I don't understand the arguments against it. I'm going to be honest. Some of the arguments are it's hoarding players. Well, I disagree. How's it hoarding dis- players? They're saying that if if all the Premier League clubs, this is one of the arguments of like League One and League Two clubs, that if those players weren't hoarded by Premier League clubs, then they would be on the market for those clubs to pick up as free transfers. I, I, I don't think that's the case, to be honest. I don't I don't think that's really the case. Um they also complain about the, the amount of foreign children that are brought in at 15 and 16. Well, surely if those foreign children are brought in and everyone only has a squad of 25 in the Premier League under 18 level, that's making players available for you guys to pick up and develop yourselves. So I don't buy that argument. I can buy the argument that they wouldn't be well supported in some instances. I don't think that would be the case for United. No. Um, and and I can buy the, the argument of that it potentially devalues the league. But I could also, on the flip side of that, say that I think it brings more eyeballs to the league. Imagine Mason Green would have been playing League One last year. How many highlights and, and matches and stuff like that would you have seen of Mason Greenwood um, against different clubs? And I actually think it brings a lot of attention down to those leagues because they're good leagues. I, I I don't do this as a as a Premier League only mindset. I think this is is good for the whole game. I'm happy to be wrong on this, and obviously there's a lot more people with experience of the lower divisions than I have. But I think this would be something that was positive for the game. Um, I don't think one size fits all. I don't think Crystal Palace B team is anywhere near as attractive as United's B team. Uh, but I do think there's something in you know another club. Maybe that's the long term plan of Salford somehow. Well, if you. I think the the reserves thing is interesting that they should probably sort out as well before that because if you look at before I mean reserves football had a mixture of first team players and under twenty threes team and it's a lot more competitive than I mean now on the under twenty threes league really doesn't it's not it doesn't Shite. suit its purpose. Let's, let's I mean, say it right, mate. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. No one I mean, it's, it doesn't really uh, players going out on loan is a lot more for their experience than playing in a division where they're not physically challenged enough and it's it's yeah it's shit. Bottom line. But the loan system also doesn't work. Um, the the loan system's of no use because if I loan... I mean, look at Balfour Jackson. He's had one successful loan in about four or five times that he's been out on loan. It, if you can keep them as a reserve team, they can play and learn the philosophy of your club uh, and you can manage their day-to-day development. If you have a player that goes on loan to, say, Exeter... Well, he's not coming back to Manchester to join him with first-team training so you can keep an eye on a kid. You, you're hoping he goes to Exeter and develops, and you're hoping that the manager that's there at the start of the season will be there at the end of the season, and guess what? He won't be. No. And then you've got to deal with, this is some kid that this new guy is now under pressure because he's took over a team in trouble. He's, I've just got to play a game. I'm not fucking developing this kid. Fuck that noise. It's a broken system. And I'm not saying that just give United a B team in League One would fix it. I don't think it would. I think you're probably right. I think there's probably needs to be some sort of uh, reward of that. Maybe United reserves going in like the Northern Prem. But it, I would imagine they absolutely wipe the floor with people at Northern Prem level. 
could they compete at conference level? Again, conference level, is that taking away opportunities for teams to, to win the conference and to get into the playoffs of the conference to enter professional league football? Where do you limit them? Did you, uh, cups? Did like, you did read you the thing real... in the Athletic about um, like you know the, 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 the United uh, youth players that were coming through and they're basically reaching a certain age and uh, they just got released and had to find like normal jobs and saying they've just got really bad like PTSD and that and saying going out alone doesn't work so their technical ability they've got is far yeah. greater and yeah. so they're just never going to be able to fit into the team. Yeah, it's uh, th- you know there's there's loads of arguments for and against the B team. Do you know I think it was Real Madrid played their B team in a final of the Copa del Rey once. Well, Castilla. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. You remember it? No, I mean, I remember seeing it. It's like 1980. I remember seeing it. <laughs> oh, no, I, do, I do remember that. Yeah, I think I was there. <laughs> um, if you look at every league in Europe, I mean, they've all got... And if you look at the structure, they've all pretty much got B teams. I mean, if you look at Spain, I mean, their Segunda Division and their Segunda B is, uh, you know, you've got quite a few. You've got um, Barca B, you've got Real Madrid's Castilla side. In the Netherlands, you've got, you know, Young Ajax. If you look at, I mean, even in the States, I mean, they don't actually have promotion and relegation there. It's a bit different, but they've still got two two teams or whatever or whatever they're called and B teams playing in their structure somehow. So it depends what your focus is on developing homegrown players or whether you want to have a more fluid system. But the, the Spanish um, divisional system is just... Nothing like the English football no, league system. No, I think not. it goes yeah, this, down this five or six levels. The English football pyramid can go down twenty-two fucking levels, mm. and you know, at each level it multiplies because they're usually only feeder leagues into the the ones above them. That like at like level nineteen or eighteen or something like that. It's like fucking seventy different regional divisions. You're like, why have they got a regional division? There's like no fucker there. And they're like, yeah, but we've got 22 fucking local parish teams. And you're like, that's mental. It's insane. Yeah, hang on, Joe, I'm going to pull it up, actually. Whoa, nearly not drink over then. Um, Have you ever done that on a football manager before where you make like a database with every single league in England and then try to Doing and it with Paddock up? at the minute. Yeah. We're in a Manchester league. Uh, right, let's go all the way down to what's on Wikipedia. Uh, it goes down to level 20. You've got the Bristol and Avon League, the Central and South Norfolk Division 4, the Devon and Exeter Football League Division fucking 8, um, the Stroud... I don't even know where Stroud is, right? The Stroud and District League Division 7. Division 7! Where's Stroud? Don't know, but it's got enough to have seven fucking divisions of football teams. The, the football pyramid in England is so fucking vast. Like, you can't compare it to Spain. Where maybe a beat team fits in, like yes, all right, you've got Barcelona, Atletico, and, and Real Madrid at the top of that. That are elite, like top fifteen, top ten world teams. The middle and the bottom half of the Spanish divisions, a bit fucking championship-ish level. And then the Segunda divisions. Well, no, there's still some really good teams though in the Segunda. I mean, if you look at the the caliber of teams in there, you've got Deportivo La Coruña, you've got Zaragoza, Malaga. You've got some pretty big teams down there at the minute. It's it's not a. Uh, I think after you get down to the likes of Segunda B, and then you go down to Tresera, you get a bit more maybe of what you were saying. But I think Segunda's probably one of the strongest sort of second tier leagues in in Europe. I think I think obviously well, like, one of the problems is as well is that like you're saying there that with how stocked like, the English football pyramid is and there's a lot of pride in people that support like non-league teams there's mm. a lot of pride in people that support long, uh, like League 2 teams and there's a lot of disparity between the support of the Premier League and the, you know even the Championship if you end up with teams like United 
creating a B team and having it just plopped into, even if we look at like the, you know, the sixth tier of English football, it's a bit like the rich kid having his family pay, you know, pay away into like the upper echelons of society and stuff. And it creates more of this discourse and this disparity between them. So I think it's a good idea. Like I agree with it. Like I think having a B team would be good, but again, it's how the situation's managed. And I'd to be, to be fair, I'd like to see him drop dropped into the 23rd tier of English football and see him playing against, you know, 45 year old plumbers. <laughs> I don't. I think that you know, as as funny as it is, I don't think it'd be competitive, uh, and I no. think it'd be an absolute waste of generations of of United yeah, reserve of players because they'd turn up like, what, what what are we doing? Like, you know, they're they're pretty well rewarded, pretty well paid. Quite a few of them, um, not all of them, but quite a few of them are you know heftily paid it, and to to compare what level they'd be to even. To even Northern Premier, like I don't know where an under twenty three team actually lies. What the the true level of the average under twenty three team would be? Is it conference? Some pretty fucking good conference teams, yeah. you know, with some experience, you know, championship yeah, players. It depends. I mean, if you, if you put them in a Northern Premier side and they get the shit kicked out of them on a muddy pitch in I don't know, Droylston or wherever, it's it's not the same, is it? So they probably won't play as well, but. It's a lot more physical down at that level. I mean, they they probably got more technical ability, but they're probably suited to playing under twenty threes football more, just because it's just a bit less intense, and that's probably how you can feed them into the first team. Well, that, that's that's the issue is yeah. that under twenty threes football is not intense; it's very vanilla. I think is the the word you would use or beige. Like a lot of these kids have been in academies since they was eight years old, and it's the same age. It's the same like you might be lining up against another kid and today he's wearing a City kit, but two years ago he was wearing an Everton kit. It's the same kids playing against the same kids on the same pitches. There's no step in development. There's no testing of them. That's why the A-leagues, when they play against the likes of Marine and Camel Laird and people like that, they get a fucking shit kicked out of them at the right time. You know, They might go and have Gary Neville and David Beckham playing there at 17 years of age, but maybe Mal Donaghy, Clayton Blackmore and Brian Robson was also in the fucking team as well. And this is international players coming back from injuries that are helping guide these lads through. So there has to be a balance. There needs to be a redress. Under 23s was stupid anyway. That was Scudamore brought that in a few years ago because he said the average age of people making their Premier League debut is 23. So for that reason, we need to up the reserve leagues. If you're 23 at United and you've come all the way through the youth system and you haven't fucking played a single fucking first team game, guess what, son? It ain't happening for you. At 23, go how old, how, how, old, how old was Lingard when he made his debut? Lingard was younger than that, but he'd also played league football. Mm. Like, he, oh, like yeah, as yeah. a fresh debut at 23. That's yeah. fucking yeah. stupid. No, 23, I mean, like you know, Mason Green was 17. Angel Gomez was 16. He's got seven and eight years experience on a 23-year-old. You know, at 23, uh, Nicky Butt, David Beckham, Gary Neville, all that, them guys were, were on the cusp of going winning the treble. You know, these were at the top of their game. Pretty much, you, you, you're 98% of your peak at 24 years of age. 98% of your highest resale value at that age. What the fuck are you doing playing under 23 football at that age? I don't know about other clubs. I can't comment. But if you're 23 at United, you'd be like, anytime soon, going to get the fucking oh. <laughs> You're not, mate. You're not. Will, you're Will, not. Keane's a, Will, Will Keane's a good example of that, isn't he? I mean, he sort of played around the reserves a bit, made his debut against, was I can't remember, was it Derby in the FA Cup, got injured, and then that was him, gone. 
Will Keane was one of the most natural. Like him, James Wilson, just purely in, mm. inexplicable what happened to them lads. Yes. Um, and that, that's why you you have to test them in a first team environment to find out whether they can sink or swim. Because if you're testing them out in under twenty three football where they look amazing, you never know whether they can make the jump. Marcus made the jump better than anyone I've, I've seen in a long time. Mason Greenwood's right up there behind him in terms of like Mason's got one of the most managed transitions from academy to first team I've ever seen. They're drip feeding him in. Uh, it's almost perfect. You know, yeah. he's not looking burnt out. You're not questioning him when he comes. He scored 12 fucking goals. If we had started at the start of the season, Marcus has never scored that, I don't think, has he? Prior to this season. No. I think Temple no. might have been his most prior to yeah. this. If you're sitting here going, hey, tell you what, Mason Greenwood this season is going to get 12 goals. You'd have been like, put the glue down. That's not happening. But there we go, 12 goals, and he's got potentially 18 games of the season left. He's not going to play all of those, but would you bet against him getting over 15? No. I wouldn't bet against him getting over 15 goals, which is fucking ridiculous because you barely notice him in the squad. He's been so well managed. Um, I think we should leave it there while, oh. we're, on a, while we're on a relative football-related topic. <laughs> <laughs> anything anyone else has got before we do go? No, not really. Any documentaries, anything you're reading, anything that you want to get off your chest? Uh, I'm actually, right, just saying... Uh, I'm reading another good book at the minute, actually. I finished it now. It's about the uh, called Rock and Roll Soccer, all about the, the North American Soccer League in the uh, 70s. And basically, they put all these like new rule changes in, but uh, it was just like mental. Uh, like the Cosmos, for example, they're owned by like Warner and uh, the big like music company. And they had like uh, cheerleaders like sat on the subs bench and that sort of thing. And there were all these like <laughs> massive orgies going on in hotels and that sort of thing. And like there was like um, Mick Jagger was involved in one of the sides. There was like all this like mad shit going on, and it only lasted for like eight years, and then the league went bankrupt because no one could afford to keep spending all this money. They took over some right stars as well, didn't they? Yeah, uh, yeah. George Best was one. Uh, Dennis Bauer. Violet was over there for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, well, Pele's obvious one. Yeah, Pele was out there. I'm trying to think. There was like Bobby Moore went out there, I think. Yeah, for a bit. You had Alan Ball as well. He, he just won a World Cup. You had uh, Canaglia who'd been playing for Juventus. You had a lot of big names playing out there, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, for a few years. I mean, they did they did a few interesting things. Like they had the uh, the American style shootouts, which were like from the thirty five yard line, and they uh, put in like a thirty. They put in like a, an offside line that was like thirty five yards. They got rid of back passes. They put like uh, names on the back of the shirts. Did that sort of thing. But uh, they had loads of like uh, beat FIFA, and uh, it was actually FIFA that kind of ended it because they gave the World Cup to uh, Mexico, and uh, <laughs> instead of the US, and then they just couldn't keep on funding it after that, and everyone just walked off. So. When it came back in the, I think late night is when it came back Not nice. again, was it? Um, it didn't feel like it was big, and we we touched on it before, didn't we? With Beckham going over there, but I think mm. Beckham going over there was one of the massive legitimizing points of the MLS in this second sort mm. of era. And since then, it does actually seem to have gone quite serious. Now there's prop what I would call proper fan groups and proper clubs mm. out there that even though they're new like LAFC yeah. um, obviously set up in opposition <laughs> to LA Galaxy um, but they seem like they've got a bit of a rebel nature about them and you know they've got safe standing they've got I can't remember the name of the section that they've got um, is it some, the bank vault or something like that because I think the stadium's called the bank something bank or other in it California Stadium yeah. yeah so they've got I think the bank vault or something like that is the name of where their ultra section is 
Um, and they, they seem to have it like proper style. So I, I think it's here to stay in America. Well, it's, it's the opposite of the NASL. I mean, the NASL, which is the old league, achieved what the MLS has done in, what, six years in terms of attendance figures, in terms of big TV deal, but it wasn't sustainable, which is why we're never going to see the Cosmos back in the MLS because it's the complete opposite of what the MLS stands for with its single entity structure and the way you could you uh, get a franchise in. But also that has its negatives because it's been almost too nice. I mean, it, they call it sort of uh, soccer socialism where you've got a salary cap and you've got a yeah. sort of draft and everything. But then actually... It's anti-American as well. Yeah, basically... <laughs> It just reduces the quality of football then because everyone's sort of average then. So you don't get a, a one team that breaks away that everyone hates, that everyone supports. But then it's a, it's a difficult balancing act. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. I would love to see them open it up and, and, and do a more European-style promotion relegation tiered thing because yeah. I think they could do it. Yeah, but I don't think teams, the college system's perfect over there. If the teams below them aren't good enough to play in the MLS, they'll just end up getting relegated back down again. That's the problem. And you've also got another whole thing with investors pulling out if that happens. And it's it's way more complicated than just opening up a relegation thing then because the whole league gets affected then. I think that would be a development I'd like to yeah. see, though. Um, because obviously then you can expand it even more. I mean, some of them states are the size of England, aren't they? Yeah, well... It's, One it's, team. Them, it's them in the A-League in Australia that are the only leagues in the world without promotion or relegation. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think there'll be that many teams wanting to take part soon. Uh, it'll probably end up happening in 10 years or so when they're just like, look, there's too many teams. Here's MLS 2. There's already, what, 26 teams, I think, in there at the minute with uh, Inter Miami joining in, um, I think it was Cincinnati last season. They're split into opposite conferences, though, aren't they? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. still only like whatever in a league. Yeah. yeah. All right, then. Uh, cheers for tuning in, everyone. Make sure to subscribe. Stay safe during lockdowns. Make sure you're washing your fucking hands and, and stay inside, you dicks. Don't be going out. Otherwise, look, here's the thing, right? If you go out, you're not clever. You just mean everyone else stays in lockdown longer, you tosser. So stay inside, wash your hands, uh, stay safe. I'll see you in the next one. Laters. Sports Social Podcast Network.